0: Good to see you. Happy Mother's Day. I wore these shoes in honor of my mother. My mother loved bright colors. Uh, all yep, yeah, she did. She liked bright yellow, bright green, turquoise was one of her big colors. And I learned a lot from my mother. Uh, my mother taught me. My mother grew up uh, during the Depression, uh, like a lot of us that are older. Mother did. Mothers did, and uh, so they didn't have anything. They were poor. And she grew up in Big Spring, and that's punishment enough. uh, Big Spring, Texas. And uh, they lived sometimes on dirt floors. Uh, Different times they lived different places. They moved a lot. And uh, my mom just, one of the things my mom taught me that's helped me through my life is that my mom believed that if if anybody can do it, we can do it. Whereas if if, if somebody can do this, And so I've just have lived by that philosophy. I've made a lot of mistakes doing that, but I've also learned a lot of stuff, you know? So I just, my mom was, my mom was a, a, was a great strength. Uh, She, she had a stroke when she was 87. Uh, She was in the floor doing stomach crunches. 87, because we were going on a cruise the next week and she wanted to look good in a bathing suit. <laughs> and she did. So uh, that's my mom. I appreciate all my mom did for me. Uh, so we're talking about uh, living free. How do we live free? And today, th- today's sermon is, this is a big job. How to deal and heal from rejection, past hurt, and present pain. I've got to do this all in 30 minutes. How to heal from rejection, past pain, past hurt, and present pain. Now, we've all dealt with the rejection. We all deal with it at certain times. Right? If we feel like we don't fit in. Uh, some of you might feel that right now. Maybe you're here today. You, you know Somebody convinced you to come. And you're here. You don't feel like you fit in here. Uh, You don't feel like you belong. Uh, Some of us feel like because of events that have happened in our life, we feel like we are too much effort to love. We don't really believe that people can love us. Uh, We probably begin to become aware of who we are and be, be aware of this struggle. It begins to come to the forefront of our minds when we enter into puberty and into junior high. There's probably no one more emotionally troubled than a bunch of junior high kids. Is they're they're trying to work out because it's really, really in junior high is when you begin. Oh, I need to face this direction because William really needs this. Uh, uh, No, actually I would just, I tend to focus on this side and, you know, I only preach to half the congregation and, uh, and so, you know, I don't want y'all to miss out so y'all can nap or something. Uh, you know, when, because until you reach puberty, you're still very much get your identity from your parents. You, you're, in other words, it's, it's not that you don't have an identity, but it's very wrapped up into your parents. And so in puberty, you begin to pull away and your friends become important than your parents in, in your teenage years. And you begin to identify who you are. You begin to have some struggles. And so in those emotional highs and lows of puberty, if you're not a jock or a cheerleader, or in the band, or in the drill team, or maybe exceptionally pretty, or handsome, uh, you might feel like you're an outsider, outside of the, just going to school, not really a part of school. You can, you know, uh, that's kind of, I I didn't like school. And some people love school. Tina loved school. Tina was a cheerleader. I was a, I was a biker, you know, we were cared about motorcycles and, you know, I didn't do any sports and we were totally on the outside and, you know, and we were okay with that because we were tough guys and just totally different experience, but we experience it and we, we, we see the world through different eyes. Uh, Even if it's not true, a lot of times things that aren't true about us, we believe things about us because we feel that way. And in that age group. Specifically, particularly during those years, feelings are very powerful. There's lots of drama in junior high. Lots of drama. And even as adults, a lot of times we fit in, we struggle with feeling like we fit in. Uh, sometimes we have rejection issues because of, uh, from our parents, or we feel that we have rejection issues because of our parents. Our parents, everybody has Imperfect parents that screw them up a little bit. And you're doing that to your kids. You're an imperfect parent. I'm, you're, we're imperfect people, right? So we bring our baggage into our family, and you know, but we're often not aware of it. And so there's struggles that sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes it's real, sometimes it's imagined. Especially when we're young, things happen to us, and we are processing those things with a not fully developed mind. You understand that, that your mind is not really fully formed, for some of you, until you're about 60. (laughs) And then, dementia sets in, so you have just a small window (laughs) of real effectiveness, Made me think of Jack Bacon for some reason. I don't know, but anyway, Uh, uh, we no. They say that your that your brain doesn't begin really doesn't mature until you're about twenty five, especially in men. So, uh, so then we've got the things that have happened to us, the things that other people have done to us, missteps that we've made, that that make us feel not loved, or less than loved, or not valuable, or not accepted, uh, lost jobs, missed promotions, that for some reason, you know, we're working hard, but yet the other person gets the promotion and we don't, and we feel rejected by that, even in the church. Sometimes we feel on the outside, sometimes we feel like that our past is too tainted, that if people knew my past and all the mistakes that I would made, they they wouldn't let me in here. And and the enemy uses that. He's the accuser of the brethren. But we feel that. We feel like I don't fit in because I've got, you know, all of these nice people and all these good people, you just don't know. <laughs> Seriously. If you knew everybody's story, you'd say, oh man, that's pretty good. I didn't realize. I was with a bunch of drug dealers and troublemakers. But Christ found us and changed us. But we can end up feeling like my, I'm, my past taints me. I'm not, I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. Or I still struggle with stuff. I'm still struggling with stuff. Nobody else in here is struggling with stuff but me. You ever feel that way? I'm the only one that's struggling. Nobody else struggles. But the reality is, we all struggle, right? Amen. So we feel small or insignificant, feel like we don't matter. We feel like there's an in circle and we're outside of it. What happened? Oh, the door was open? Oh, okay. I just thought maybe somebody walked in and I wasn't aware of it. Okay. Paul felt this. Paul felt this not feeling like he was fitting in like we all do. Galatians chapter one verse one. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who wa- raised him from the dead. That's an unusual way to start off a letter to the Galatians. Paul an apostle, not sent from men, nor of the agency of men, but from Jesus Christ. Paul who st- planted the churches in Galatia, he and Barnabas started these churches, is now writing a letter to the Galatians, and he begins it by justifying who he is. He's having to explain that, hey, I'm an apostle, and I'm speaking to you with the authority of an apostle, because there were people who had come in from Jerusalem that were called Judaizers they were called Judaizers because they began to infiltrate the Gentile churches that Paul had established in Turkey and Asia Minor and Macedonia, That where Paul had preached the gospel and started churches among Gentiles. Judaizers came from Jerusalem and said, listen, if you want to be a good Christian, you can't just trust Christ. You have to also keep the law. So you have to keep the dietary habits of the Jews. If you're a Gentile male and you're not circumcised, and they weren't, you have to be circumcised. So they were preaching what Paul describes in the Gospel of Galatians, or in the letter of Galatians, he describes it as another gospel. Because they're saying Jesus is not enough. It's Jesus plus something else. It's not Jesus plus something else. In Christ alone, I place my hope. It is faith in Christ By grace, you have been saved. By faith. It is a gift of God, not of yourselves, lest any man would boast. So they're, they're questioning his apostleship and it's easy to do so. Think about it. He's not one of the original 12. He is, has been a savage persecutor of the church. Uh, in its infancy from the book of Acts, he begins to persecute the church. He has not been appointed by any of the hierarchy besides the head of the church, Jesus Christ, who is the hierarchy, but none of the, none of the leaders, James, Peter, John, They have not appointed him to be an apostle. The other apostles didn't vote on him and say, you know, here's here's our next apostle. They actually did vote on somebody when after Judas, they voted and they kind of missed God in that because God had an apostle. God called all the original, original apostles. They didn't call the original apostles. And so Jesus called the last apostle too, and that was Paul. He had personally been called by Jesus. but. Nobody else heard the call. I mean, they heard the voice, but they didn't understand what it said. They, so, so, here, so all of it, they're bringing Paul's apostleship into question. Now Paul had been a fervent, self-righteous Pharisee, confident in his own self-righteousness. Galatians 1.13, he says, for you've heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism. Beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. You can see with Paul, it was a competition. He wanted to do better than everybody else. And he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond my contemporaries. And he was proud of that. And he was persecuting Christians for all he was worth. And he was on his way from Jerusalem to Damascus to find more Christians to persecute. Acts chapter 9. Now, Paul, now Saul, who becomes Paul, Still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that as he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, "'Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?' And he said, "'Who are you, Lord?' And he said, I'm Jesus. You know, the one that you thought was dead? (laughs) I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were opened, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight and he neither ate nor drank. Now this is a dramatic turn of events for Paul who is devout in his persecution of the church. On his way to Damascus, he is apprehended by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says, okay, Paul, uh, you're changing teams. (laughs) And so he goes to Damascus. He's waiting there. Now while he was... Now there was in Damascus a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So the Lord speaks to Ananias and says to him, listen, I want you to go and pray for Paul. And Ananias says, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, you're right. That sounds hard and scary. Don't do it. He didn't say that, did he? He said, no, he says, uh, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name. Now, that's what he would say if he was your passive aggressive mother. He would say, don't, be, don't inconvenience me. Do whatever you want. But God doesn't say that. God says, no, go. Because he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name among the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. So here is Paul, Saul. He's a man between two countries. He's a Pharisee who's no longer a Pharisee. Now he's considered a traitor. He's a Christian called by Jesus Christ, but the other Christians don't trust him because they think he might be an undercover agent, acting like he's a Christian so he can kill more Christians. So they don't trust him. So he goes off and he spends three years with Jesus in Arabia. He he spends a short time in Damascus. They try to kill him. He leaves and goes to Arabia. He's caught between two places. So Paul understands this. How do, how do you deal with this when you when you're rejected and you don't fit in? And I, I think there's a couple of, these are three things, and these are big things to deal with. It's a lot to deal with. How to heal from past pain, how to deal with rejection, and recover from present injuries. How do you deal with that? Three things. These are three key things that I think will help you. First, you have to recognize that rejection and pain are a normal part of life. The situation of your rejection is unique when and how it happened are unique. But rejection and pain are a normal part of life. Mark eight thirty one, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. If they rejected Jesus... The perfect son of God who lived a sinless life who never said anything wrong. There was no guile in his mouth. He never responded wrongly to anyone and they rejected him. Are they going to reject us? Less than perfect people. Matthew 21, 42. Jesus said to them, Did you ever read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This has become the chief cornerstone. At this came about from the Lord and it is marvelous in our eyes. The chief cornerstone. The the builders rejected Jesus. The perfect cornerstone was rejected. He is the stone that the builders rejected. If they rejected the chief cornerstone, are they going to reject us? Jesus God in the flesh, perfect, rejected. We often think that rejection is personal, but it's often not about us, it's about the ones who reject us. They rejected Jesus, not because he wasn't the chief cornerstone, he was, but because he wasn't what they wanted and expected. They had been in some kind of bondage for about five or six hundred years. The Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Persians had all overrun the country. Then the Greeks, Alexander the Great overruns the country. Then the Seleucids. And then the Romans came in and beat the Seleucids. And all of these people, all for hundreds of years... The Jews are under the thumb of some governing authority, and their view of what the Messiah is going to do is going to come and give them some degree of freedom from their oppressors. But the Messiah had a little bigger job than just freeing them. He wanted to free all of humanity from the bondage of sin. They rejected Jesus. Not because he wasn't the chief cornerstone, but he was because he didn't do what they expected. They rejected Paul because they wanted to abuse the people that he had taught, and they wanted to teach them a new gospel, and they had to get him out of the way to do it. Some rejection is personal. But it's nearly always about the emotional turmoil inside the rejectors, not something you did. Or are doing wrong. I want you to get that. Are you getting that? Most of the time, the rejection that you feel is because of them. It's not because of you. There are times that we all do stupid stuff and we experience rejection and we know that it's coming to us. But a lot of times, the things that you felt, maybe it came from your childhood, like I had somebody tell me in between the services, they were talking about this, and that their mother talked about the way that they were. They said, I'm this way because my father was mean. So now I get to be mean, in a sense. How long do you get to claim who you are based on what was done? Just because they are doesn't... In other words, you felt rejected because they were mean. It wasn't you, it was them. Don't take what doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to you, it belonged to them. Let it die with them. The rejection that they gave you, that was their problem. If they couldn't love you the way that you needed to be loved, it wasn't you, it was them. Don't hang on to it. Let let that go. It's nearly always about the emotional turmoil inside the rejectors, the agenda inside those that are rejecting you, not something you did or are doing wrong. You have to expect it. In other words, it's normal. Rejection is normal. People are acting out. There are people who are acting out of their stuff. And so don't, don't internalize what they're doing. Realize that it's them and not you. And you just have to expect it. There's going to be some jerks in the world. And you've been a jerk too. Right? Or a jerk at. I'm not sure what the term for that. I do, but I'm not going to use it. Okay. First uh, Peter 2.20. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? We do sin and we get bad treatment for it. That happens. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Behold, Jesus said, Matthew ten sixteen, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be as shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. What's he saying? He's sending the 70 out to preach the gospel, and he says to them, get ready. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. One of the things that I do when I do premarital counseling is I try to tell young couples, get ready. This is going to be tough. You're going to want to quit a thousand times. It is going to be hard. You've got to get your big boy britches on and get ready. First Peter. Now Peter says this to, this to us. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Then John says, the apostle of love says, Don't be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Acts 9. But the Lord said to him, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel, for I must show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Well, that doesn't seem like a very good way to call somebody into the ministry. Listen, Paul, I'm going to use you, but a couple of things I tell you, this is going to be really hard and you're going to suffer a lot for it. You ready? Let's go. See how this works. What if I tell you, listen, I want you to go through that door. On the other side of that door are some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. They're kind, they're gracious, they're, they're just all good Christian people. They just love Jesus and they'll never do anything wrong. If you go through that door and those people are as mean as a striped snake and they treat you badly, you know what you'll think? It must be me. Because they're nice people. It must have been something I did that caused it to happen. But it wasn't. The problem was you went into it expecting it to be easy. And it was hard. So since it was hard, you thought, well, they told me they were nice. It must have been easy for everybody else. It was just hard for me. It must have been something I did. Your expectations set you up. But if I say to you, listen, if you go through the room, watch yourself. There's some wolves in that room. They're going to bite you. Don't, don't turn your back on them. Be careful. It's go- listen, this is going to be hard. This is going to be perilous, but it's going to be victorious. You need to go through that room because on the other side of the room is a great victory, but you got to do this. I want you to do this. If you understand that going in, then going in, you, if, when you get nipped on the heels, you don't say, that's not fair. I don't believe that happened to me. <laughs> What God, why did you let that nip me on the heel? Because we don't personalize it and we realize that wasn't me, that was them. We don't own it. Some of you were rejected, have been rejected, or are rejected over a lot of different things, and you took responsibility for it when it wasn't your doing. It was the emotionally or mentally troubled people around you, not you. Don't take what doesn't belong to you. Second thing is this. You have to know and believe who God says you are. This is really important. Paul said, I, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of men, but through Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, listen, you may not know who I am. These Judaizers may not know who I am, but I know who I am. I know who I am because Jesus called me. I know who I am because of the work of Christ. Knowing who God says you are is foundational to your spiritual and emotional existence and effectiveness. You have to get a hold of this. This is one of the core truths. I've talked about this a lot. I believe it to be very, very important. You've got to get a hold of who you are in Christ. It is the foundation of your spiritual life. It's the foundation of your mental health. You're not who you think you are. Who do you think you are? <laughs> Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. But he who walks wisely will be delivered. You ever, you know, there's a big thing. You need to follow your heart. (laughs) You better not. You you follow your heart, it'll put you into all kinds of trouble. You need to follow the Word of God. You need to listen to the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit bring your heart into check. The heart is deceitful above all else, no man can know it. You're not who you think you are. Your view of yourself is distorted, both good and bad. You see yourself, and this is funny how we do this. We see ourselves at once better and worse than other people. We, at the same time, we judge ourselves harshly, and then we give ourselves grace. We forgive certain things about our character that we shouldn't forgive, and we don't forgive things about our character that we should forgive. See, a mirror distorts your image. A mirror is flat. You're not flat. So when you look in a mirror, you can see the image you want to see. When I look in a mirror, I very seldom look in a mirror like this. I don't want to see that. I want to act like that doesn't exist. I'm hiding that from myself. I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm looking straight on, because that way I can kind of... That's what we do. We get a distorted image of ourselves. A mirror can only show you 50% at a time. Think about a selfie view. You know why you like a mirror better than you like a camera? Because with with a mirror, you can control... What you believe you see, but with a camera, other people interpret you, and most of us don't like the interpretation of a camera. But with a selfie, you can tuck it all in. You know, with a selfie, you can like, what? You know, why are you holding the camera up here? I'm only getting one chin at a time. You know, then you. It's a distorted image, right? We're creating an image that we think others, we want others to see. You're not who you think you are. You're not who others say you are. You need to be wise and you need to listen to input from people that you love, but even they are not the decider. The crowd is fickle. They will crown you one day. They'll crucify you the next you can't get your value based on the number of likes on your social media post. This is, a real, this is a real thing that's happening. you got to understand this. Your phone is addictive. My phone is addictive. And the, There are things that we do. There's actually an endorphin release. You can put a post on any of the particular sites. And if a number of people like that post then that makes you feel good. It releases endorphins into your system. That creates addiction. We have to be careful. It's dangerous. We can't get our value based on other people's opinions. Who are you? My value has to be based on who God says that I am. I am who God says I am. I'm not... I'm not the opinion of man. I'm I'm not the opinion of people. I'm an apostle by Jesus Christ. Not by man. I'm chosen by Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us to adoption as sons I've been adopted into his family through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved I'm beloved in him we have redemption there's been a price been paid the wrath of God that is due me has been paid I I have been expiated from the wrath of God. It has been satisfied. And with that, I, did, I wasn't just get saved from something. I got saved to something. I didn't just get my sins removed. Now I've got an inheritance. Now I'm in the family. Now I'm in Christ. Have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. You see, you have to believe who God says you are. Jesus told Paul he was an apostle to go to the Gentiles. Paul believed it and virtually staked his life on what God told him. Lived every day of his life believing. God called me. I got to go and do what God called me to do. I'm chosen. I'm beloved. I'm redeemed. He's lavishing his grace upon me. Third thing is, I just have a short amount of time. Think big, not small. Part of our problem is when we're letting the past hurts and past rejection, present pain, is that we tend to think about us and now. We get so tied up in how I feel right now, we don't realize that God's got a bigger view of Him and eternity. God wants to often move us back. We've got a myopic view. We're so focused on our little problem. This little problem is just destroying us. It's eating us alive. What am I going to do with this problem? And we need to step back and get an eternal view, a God view, and not just an us view. And a me view and a right now view. See, God's God's put destiny in you. When he called you into salvation, he called you into eternity. He called you into an eternal destiny. Paul had big plans for his life. Then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and Jesus said, you ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) You think you got big plans? You're going to be a big Jew? I'm going to use you. To establish the church on the earth. He had a destiny in Paul. He called him for a purpose. You have been called for a purpose. You have no less destiny. I have no less destiny on me than the Apostle Paul. You and I have been called just as they were called by the work of God to do the work that God's called us to do. It's not the same. I'm not an apostle. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm the apostle Paul. I'm not. God called me to be Randy Hewitt. And he called you to be you. And you've got a place in where you are, the place where you are, you think, where'd God call me to? Where are you? It's where you are. God God wants you to live who you are as a Christian, right where you are. There's an impact. There's a destiny for you. People that you can touch. See, God sent Paul to the Gentiles. Who has he sent you to? Look around you. They're all around you. God has sent you to them. You have the call of God on you. There's destiny on you. For the eternal purpose and plan of God. God has big plans for you. What if in your whole life? Just think about this. What if in your whole life, you just help one person come to Christ? That would be a big deal. Do you think Ananias could say all of his whole life, you know, I got to pray for Paul. What's God use you to do? Well, let me tell you. God woke me up one day, it's kind of scary. I got to pray for Paul. So you have no idea. You see, there was, there were people that witnessed to Billy Graham. Billy Graham went into a revival. He wasn't a Christian. He wasn't. He grew up in a Christian home, and uh, he went to a revival. It was really crowded, and the little deacon got up, went to the back, said, "Here, here. There's a place for you to." sit right up here, and gave him a front row seat where he had been sitting, and he stood, in, stood instead. And that night, Billy Graham and his friend, George Beverly Shea, might recognize that name too, came to Christ. And we don't know that little guy's name, but he had destiny on him. Because he had hospitality. God had built hospitality in his heart. God used him. And how many of you, you don't understand how God's going to use you. God has destiny on you. But the Lord said to him, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I'll show him how much you must suffer for my name's sake. You've been called for the destiny and purpose of the kingdom. You've got to quit letting your past determine your present. When Paul had gathered a bunch of sticks, now Paul is a prisoner of Rome. This is my last point. He's gathered a bunch of sticks because he's a prisoner of Rome and he was on a ship and the ship sunk. And they made it to this island, and they're on this island, and they are building a fire to warm up. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. He got bit by a snake. Which, if it was me, I would have my response would have been, Are you kidding me? God, what are you doing? I we just. Struggled in out of the water, drowning. We've come up here on the beach. We're freezing to death. We're building a fire and a snake. The shipwreck wasn't enough for your glory. Isn't that the way we are? That's the way we are. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand... They began saying to one another, undoubtedly, this man is a murderer, and though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live, and they're waiting for him to swell up and die. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. Now, I want you to know, right off the bat, this is a rubber snake, okay? Now, they used this snake, Landon Perry and William Willie Agundis, put this on the door with a a bit of monofilament through it. So when we opened the door, it raised the snake up and then they filmed all of our responses. And all I can say is, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Tina had the best response. So think about this. So Paul is, he, all, you know, he's, a, hes just they're just trying to build a fire. They're warming up. So they get a bundle of sticks. He's got a bundle of sticks. And he goes and throws it on the fire. And when he throws it on the fire, the snake reacts and bites him on the hand. It doesn't just bite him. It's attached to him. It's, a, it's attached to him. And what does Paul do? He shakes it off. Now, you know what sometimes we would do? Fifty years ago, I got snake bit. I don't know if y'all saw the snake. I guess I like booklet, don't I? <laughs> and we, instead of shaking it off, we wear it as a badge to rehearse our pain. You, the way to deal with present pain is to shake it off. In the immortal words of Taylor Swift. (laughs) Shake it off. Shake it off. Baby. (laughs) Or let it go. Sometimes we're holding on to stuff. The, the reason for that was that then they're waiting for him to die. Paul doesn't die. Instead, he preaches the gospel to him. It opens the door for him to minister to this whole island of people, the leader of the island. He goes to his house. He leads the leader of the island to Christ. He's, in other words, God's using it. You think, God's used it. This is something that God's going to use. Don't agonize over it. As, oh, why would you let this snake bite me? But God, how are you going to use this for your glory? Because I've got destiny on me. I'm called for the destiny and the purpose of God. God's going to use my life. He's going to use your life. You've got destiny. Everywhere you walk, God knew you were going to be there before you got there. He wants to use you eternally to accomplish his will. God's got bigger stuff. Sometimes we're tied up because we got bigger stuff. Some of you, you got a hold of rejection that doesn't belong to you. It was the problem of the person that rejected you, but you took it as your own. You made it your own. And it wasn't. They despised and rejected Jesus, even though he was perfect. You've got to let go of that rejection and believe who God says you are. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you've set us free. Lord, help us to reject rejection. Help us to let go of the things we need to let go of. But let us get hold of the fact of who we are in you. Let us cling to the truth that by grace we are saved and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God that I have been called a son, a child, beloved. I'm in the family of God. I've been adopted. You have claimed me as your own. Lord, help us to let go of the pain and live in the victory of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Lord bless you. Have a great day.